Welcome to the Soybean Pod, brought to you by South Dakota soybean farmers and their checkoff. I'm Tom Stever, discussing the incredible soybean, the people who grow it, and why that crop is so important. As much as there is a strategy for building soybean demand, domestically and globally, there is a strategy for filling that demand. It's a hungry world, as well as a world in need of environmentally friendly, sustainable products. And it takes a huge supply of soybeans. In this episode of The Soybean Pod, we'll get a better idea of the United Soybean Board's plan for maintaining soybean supply. Yeah, I'm Matt Gath. I am currently on my fourth year on the United Soybean Board, second year on the executive committee. I currently serve as the supply action team chair. I farm in southeast North Dakota, just south of Valley City, North Dakota, where we grow corn and soybeans. Tell me about your farm, Matt. Yeah, you know, we we grow corn and soybeans, looking at maybe growing a little canola this year, kind of switching up the rotation, getting harvest started a little sooner, getting wrapped up a little sooner with our weather, so it's not very predictable up here. I got three boys that I'm hoping to pass my part of the farm down to and to allow them to hopefully do what I do and love it as much as I do. So that's one of the reasons I do what I do. And I'd like to get back to some of that a little bit later in the interview. But first, tell me about the United Soybean Board's strategy for supply investments. Supply investments are cut across three priority areas, same as the demand side. We have infrastructure and connectivity, we have health and nutrition, and innovation and technology. For infrastructure and connectivity, it's about investing in the ability of farmers to connect to markets, information, and strengthen the interconnected systems bringing us soybean products to market, whether you know, it be through road, rail, river, some broadband, stuff like that. For health and nutrition, you know, that's the plant health, nutrition, investing in growing soybeans to meet the future needs of plant, as well as soil health, improve plant nutrition, utilizing things necessary to produce a healthier, more resilient plant. Things such as, you know, as we've seen the last couple of years is some areas with major drought and ability for those soybeans to grow even with that stress. That shows some of the things that we've done to invest in, in the health and nutrition on the supply side to help weather those storms or lack thereof storms, I guess you could say, in those dry years. We have innovation and technology, which is investing in the production of soybeans to help to meet the demands of the future through improvements, new uses, technology. We can produce and expand opportunities for use based on market needs from feed and food to other industrial products. So it's really opened up things that people may not understand that soy is used for, such as Goodyear tires, Skechers shoes, things like that, that The saying is, soy is every life, every day is kind of a model we go by. And is there ever any worry in your mind about U.S. farmers producing enough soy to meet these demands? You know, I hope we can continue to find new uses, continue, you know, with biofuels, things like that, you know, continuing these crush facilities, more and more coming online. You know, if we can continue to find new uses and do things to research the promotion to continue to push soybeans, you know, I hope it's something that we can build off of, something we can continue to grow and really make U.S. soy the desired choice in the world, not just domestically, but internationally. We want to be the number one sought after soybean in the world. And so I think, you know, we got to continue 
building our yields and continue to grow more soybeans. Cause I think as the numbers show what the population is going to grow by here in the next 15 to 20 years, I think we got to be able to withstand that continue to build our yields and continue to build our supply as well as continue to build the demand for us. soy. they both go hand in hand without the demand. The supply means nothing without supply demand related. So we got to really got to work on building them both together to continue having U.S. soy the number one preferred choice of soy in the world. How is the United Soybean Board bringing <clears throat> supply-related resources to farmers in the field, Matt? You know, like we talked about, plant health for drought and flood tolerance. We've done research on genetics, breeding, management strategies to help preserve soybean crops for when we do have those extreme and varied climate stress, not just drought, but flood, any weather events, maybe some cooler weather, things like that. You know, we want to continue to do more research and, you know, hopefully have the supply to continue to build our yields and supply when we do have those rough growing seasons. We got green chemistry for farms, focusing on new biochemicals and biologicals for pest management, you know, including research into natural products. That could be new herbicides, fungicides, things like that, and ways to deliver these different things onto the farm as well as field monitoring to help analyze crop health. We have one checkoff investment that uses a combination of cameras and facial recognition technology to monitor fields and the crop health in those fields in real time. This will hopefully help aid in decreasing water usage and increase irrigation efficiency when the supply of waters in those irrigated fields might have to be regulated or it might not be there. It really helps to preserve that stuff. And so I think they're all very crucial to continuing the supply of U.S. soy. Well, where can farmers go to find out more about best management practices that result from checkoff-funded production research? Well, one of the places that farmers can go is soybeanresearchinfo.com. It's a soybean and research information network. It's kind of a one-stop shop for best management practices from soybean researchers. There's agronomists, breeders, extension specialists, you know, on things such as dealing with diseases, pests. There's also things on there as for diagnostic tools that can be found on soybeanresearchinfo.com. We have the Take Action, which is a farmer-focused education platform, which is designed to help farmers manage their herbicides, fungicide, and insect resistance. The goal of that is to really help encourage farmers to adopt management practices that lessen the impacts of resistant pests and things such as that. Weeds can really inhibit your, your ability to, to maximize your yield if we don't have our weeds under control and the plant health where we need it. So that's a big focus as well. So let's dig into a few high-profile supply investments by the United Soybean Board, Matt, including infrastructure, high lake, and farmers for soil health. Let's begin with infrastructure. What investments are being made in infrastructure? International soybean buyers, they want to get their delivery of their product and the price. And both of those are impacted by the United States transportation infrastructure. One of the things that we have been doing is in Louisiana, the dredging of the lower Mississippi River. This allows barges to continue to deliver an additional 500,000 bushels per ocean vessel, which adds roughly $461 million in annual realized value for U.S. soybean farmers. Another thing that we have invested money into is the Port of Grace Harbor terminal expansion in Aberdeen, Washington. This will enable increased soybean meal exports from 3 million to 6 million metric tons 
because of that expanded infrastructure. And we were able to, our executive committee from the United Soybean Board, we were out there in June and actually went to the terminal expansion where they're working on that at Grace Harbor. And we got to see there was a ship being loaded, a vessel being loaded while we were there. Uh, we got to tour the, the facility and we, they were putting the finishing the roofs on those expansions when we were there. And, you know, being from North Dakota, I think they realized as well the demographics of meal and crush and how that's changing with the number of facilities that are being added across the country, you know, specifically here in North Dakota, one just come online here this harvest. And I believe the other one is coming on here this next season. And so they see the growth in the meal that's going to be exported out of the Pacific Northwest out there. So that's a very vital expansion to help with infrastructure. On top of that, we have the Lawrence, St. Lawrence Seaway up in the Great Lakes, through checkoff investment, it helped enable an agreement to reduce freight tolls by 50% to help incentivize greater use by soybean exporters and diversify their, their transportation system. Um, another thing here is the Lock and Dam 25 in Missouri. It was allocated federal funding to double its size from 600 feet to 1,200 feet. This work has started. When it's completed, the size capacity alone will substantially reduce the time spent navigating the lock. That's very vital when buyers purchase these soybeans they expect them there in a timely fashion they want them there to be able to use them and so i think it's very vital that we can keep the transportation costs down by doing things like this and keep customers happy as well as keeping u.s soy the number one preferred choice for soybeans i think it's all vital for the expansion of u.s soy i know that many of the soybeans that come out of south dakota head toward the Pacific Northwest ports. And I know you mentioned Gray's Harbor and the work that's being done there on infrastructure. Do a lot of your beans that are for export, do they go via rail to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, they do. Yep, they do. They, the majority of our soybeans in this area, I would say before the crush facility came in, yes, they would. You know, the demographics of that will change a little bit, but I believe North Dakota is historically number one or number two exporter of whole soybeans in the country every year in the United States. And I was actually able to attend the Southeast Asia Cooperators Conference in Da Nang, Vietnam here in September, in the middle of September. One of the questions I got from international companies, buyers, because of the expansion, are we going to still be able to get whole soybeans? And the answer is absolutely. The way those crush facilities are going to fill their needs with the beans are going to be from different types of transport, whether they bring it in by rail, trucks, farmers, but there's still going to be a lot of beans shipped out to the Pacific Northwest to continue to be funneled through those avenues. And that also with these facilities, we will see an influx in meal predominantly that we wouldn't see before. And Vietnam is an area I believe that we really didn't send much meal to. And I think that we sent more this last year. And so I think some of those areas that we may not had markets in with meal that maybe we're going to tap into or move into those more. So I think those are some big pluses that come out of the, the increased crush as well in, in our area. There's been an effort for several years to increase the acreage of High Lake soybeans in the U.S. What's the status and what's new with High Lake soybeans, Matt? <clears throat> well, the expansion, you know, continues to be a focus. There's growers asking for varieties in their maturity range in their areas of the country, and that's something that's continually being talked about, expanded on. Food manufacturers have really felt the pinch of accelerating prices brought on by the growth of the biofuels, the alternative fuel markets. Hyolaic remains a food alternative that does not have fuel implications. And so Hyolaic has provided improved health benefits, 
And one thing we hear a lot is high oleic increases farm profit because of the premiums. I believe it was last year, you know, we heard anywhere from a $1.25 to $2 premium on top of where just your regular soybean was at. And so I think that premium really plays a role as well in, in a farmer's profitability and their continued success, their farm. And so return on investment on the high oleic to back to farmers, we have invested $128 million at the United Soybean Board level. We have invested $128 million and $266 million has been returned to soybean growers that have seen the benefits of the high oleic. In partnership with Corteva, Bayer, like I said, $128 million in high oleic and $266 million has been returned. So that's a substantial number of premium payments back to farmers planting the high oleic traits. The geographies of it span 13 states roughly 1.1 million acres in 2023. The highest acreage concentration has been in Ohio, Indiana, and the Delmarva region. Farmers can now participate in a cost-share program for cover crops. What can you tell me about Farmers for Soil Health? Yeah, the Farmers for Soil Health initiative will bring money back to the farmers where sustainability is happening at the farm level through things such as the cost-share program, the technical assistance through state groups, where there's a market platform that will connect buyers with farmers who produce products raised under sustainable practices. The goal is to double the number of corn and soybean acres using cover crops to 30 million acres by 2030. This is much more than a cover crop program. There's a goal here to advance the use of soil health practices on corn and soybean acres. The USDA has a $95 million partnerships for climate smart commodities that will offer personal on the ground technical support to farmers in 20 states. There's been additional partners included in this, have been the National Corn Growers Association, the National Pork Board, and National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. Any participating farmer who plants cover crops will receive payments over three years to help transition, totaling $50 per new acre of cover crops planted, or a one-time payment of $2 per acre of farmers with existing cover crops. Enrollment is open on that. Farmers can apply online at farmersforsoilhealth.com, and we encourage farmers to go out and do that. How did you become involved in the soybean checkoff leadership? I was nominated by somebody for my state board oh, roughly eight and a half years ago, I'd say, probably eight, eight, eight and a half years ago. Wasn't really sure what, what it all entailed. Did some research, called the North Dakota Soybean Council, and you know, really liked what I had heard. And so I, I ran for the spot and was elected into that position for my district. After my first year on the board, I was elected as the secretary of our 12-person board as well on my third year as well, and then a chance to run for the national checkoff board on the United Soybean Board arose, and there was an open spot for my state. So I put my name in for that and was nominated by the state, and my name went forward to USDA and was put into that position through USDA and really enjoyed what I do on there and really passionate about it and just kind of worked my way up through the United Soybean Board and ran for an executive committee position and I've really enjoyed every moment of it. We're very fortunate to be able to do what we do. It's an honor to serve on this board. There's a lot of highly intelligent people and very passionate people about agriculture. And so it's been an amazing opportunity to serve with the people that we do and to represent all 515,000 U.S. soybean farmers. It doesn't sound as if you have a lot of free time, Matt, but what do you like to do in your off hours? What are your hobbies? Well, obviously, you know, farming and, and my three boys who are Jackson, who's 14, Bentley, who's 11, and Easton, who's seven, they take up a, a great deal of my time and the farm. 
And outside of that, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about the soybean board and the things we do. And so that takes up a fair amount of time as well. But just being outside, hanging out with my kids, being at the lake, concerts, some downtime is always nice. And you uh, talked about hoping to leave your farm in the hands of your three sons when it's time to pass that along. How important is it to plan ahead for that progression and succession? Yeah, and you know, I think that's one thing that I really think about when I'm on the soybean board here is it's just not my farm or the farmers in North Dakota, all 515,000 soybean farmers as a whole that continue, you know, the lifestyle of in the agriculture world of farms and to continue to ensure the longevity of agriculture. And so I just want there to be an opportunity for my kids to do this as well and have them take pride in what they do. You know, we just have to be really good stewards of the land. And I believe no one cares for or takes better care of the land than the farmers themselves, because without the land, we're not able to do what we do. And so I think farmers take a lot of pride in that and in what we do. And that's one of the reasons that I do what I do is for my three boys to be able to, to do this as well. And hopefully they all choose to do it and appreciate it as much as I do. How was harvest? Harvest was good. You know, we had a few weather delays. A couple inches of snow stopped us for all oh, five, six days. But, you know, we've had abnormally warm temperatures here. I finished my corn up here on oh, the day before Thanksgiving, so it was good to be done. But yields on the corn were better than expected on our normal average year. And beans were average or maybe just a hair above. But considering the late start we had with the winter last year and the spring, we were very pleased with what we saw. You know, hopefully we got all everything off this year. We were able to get field work done, what we needed to do. So hopefully that sets us up to be have a successful 2024. Were you bothered by drought or too much rain at all? It was really hit and miss. There was pockets where we couldn't catch the rain. And then there was areas where you'd think, boy, I, I could use a half inch and you'd get a half inch. And then there was areas where you'd ask for a half inch and you'd get three inches. And so it was just... It was really variable the way the weather was this year. And that kind of seemed to be the way it was in other states as well. It was, you might have somebody have an inch and a half mile away, they didn't get anything. And so it was, it was a different year with the variability of the weather. United Soybean Board farmer leader, Matt Gast from Southeastern North Dakota. The Soybean Pod. Covering this incredible crop, those who grow it, and the many ways it's used is available wherever you get your podcasts and at sdsoybean.org. Brought to you by South Dakota Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. We're also on the air on the South Dakota Soybean Network. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Stever.